I was raised to believe that the Bible defines good and evil for us within its pages. But when we stop and examine this idea using the Bible, we discover something else. In the Garden of Eden, there were two trees. A tree that would bring life to all who ate of its fruit, and a tree that brought death. And it was the second tree, the tree that resulted in death, that contained the knowledge of good and evil. Have we been deceived by the serpent who is trying to get us to eat of the second tree? Is the Bible really trying to define good and evil for us? Let's take a step back. Let's run an experiment. Instead of seeking to define good and evil, let's instead ask the question of the trees. Let's attempt to define life and death, but to do so, we must first seek it out. So join us as we Deresh Chai, as we seek life. Hey everybody, welcome to the Deresh Chai Experiment, the show where we examine the subtle details of scripture in order to discern the purpose for the obvious details. The, the book of Numbers is a masterpiece of subtlety. For many of us, the first few chapters are nothing short of boredom-inducing. No one wants to sit through what seems to be an endless recitations of numbers that mean nothing to us. Too often we focus on the numbers, because that is what the text seems to be about, and we miss out on the subtext that's exploring the really important ideals. And the beauty of numbers is found in the subtext. As we move through the book, we're going to find that there is a pattern to the book of Numbers. I mean, sure, there's the pattern that I introduced last week. This book is broken into three sections, just as Leviticus is broken into four. The first section deals with the preparations to move in chapters 1 through 10. The second section deals with the actual movement of the people over a 38-year span of wandering in the wilderness in chapters 11 through 25. The third section deals with the wrap-up of their journey closing off the hanging threads and setting up the conquest to come from chapters 26 through the end of the book. This pattern is fascinating, and it helps us to organize what we are reading as we go through the text. But that's not where the subtlety of this book is found. As we proceed through the book, we will find that the book seems almost schizophrenic at times. This is especially noticeable in the middle sections, we will read a narrative story, and then we'll read a set of laws, then a narrative, then laws. And it, it is this that gives us the pointer to this other pattern that occurs in the book. The book of Numbers will introduce a topic, and in the midst of the topic, a problem will be introduced. Then, as we read, we will find that this problem is then addressed in the following chapter or chapters, sometimes in surprising ways. And if we shift our focus from the center of the book, where this is somewhat blatant, if not obvious, to the ends of the book, where there seems to be just a hodgepodge of topics all thrown together, we may find, as we consider this hodgepodge, that it's not so random after all. There is an order and a flow to this book that is extremely easy to miss out on. What we will be reading for the next couple of weeks still is going to highlight this. These two chapters, and even the next two after that, are all going to build on each other. We're going to find that as the topic shifts from one chapter to the next, that there is one continuous stream of thought that's being presented from chapter to chapter. A stream of thought that is not unique to the book of Numbers, but is repeated in other locations. 
And it's going to be our pleasure to dig into these chapters leading up to Israel's first move over the next month or so, and to discern the stream of thought that's being explored. Because that stream of thought is the true highlight of the text. It's easy to get distracted by the numbers and the sizes and the positions and the counts and the seeming contradictions and so many other things that we lose sight of the heart of the text. Well, we're going to attempt to keep our eyes on the heart of the text while still dealing with some of these other things. So without further ado, let's read Numbers chapter 3 and 4. Numbers 3 and 4. And these are the generations of Aaron and Moshe, when Hashem spoke with Moshe on Mount Sinai. And these are the names of the son of Aaron, Nadav the firstborn, and Avihu, Eleazar, and Ithamar. These are the names of the son of Aaron, the anointed priests whom he ordained to act as priests. And Nadav and Avihu died before Hashem when they brought strange fire before Hashem in the wilderness of Sinai. And they had no children. So Eleazar and Ithamar acted as priests in the presence of Aaron their father. And Hashem spoke to Moshe, saying, Bring the tribe of Levi near, and set them before Aaron the priests, and they shall serve him. And they shall guard his duty, and the duty of all the congregation, before the tent of appointment, to do the service of the dwelling place. And they shall guard all the furnishings of the tent of appointment, and the duty of the children of Israel, to do the service of the dwelling place. And you shall give the Levites to Aaron and his sons. They are given ones, given to him from among the children of Israel. And appoint Aaron and his sons, and they shall guard the priesthood, and the stranger who comes near shall be put to death. And Hashem spoke to Moshe, saying, Now look, I myself have taken the Levites from among the children of Israel, instead of every firstborn who opens the womb among the children of Israel. And the Levites shall be mine, because all the firstborn are mine. On the day that I struck all the firstborn in the land of Mitzrayim, I set apart to myself all the firstborn in Israel, both man and beast. They are mine. I am Hashem. And Hashem spoke to Moshe in the wilderness of Sinai, saying, Register the children of Levi by their fathers' houses, by their clans. Register every male from a new moon old and above. So Moshe registered them according to the word of Hashem, as he had been commanded. And these were the sons of Levi by their names, Gershon and Kahat and Marari. And these are the names of the sons of Gershon by their clans, Livni and Shimi. And the sons of Kahat by their clans, Amram and Yitzhar, Hevron and Uziel. And the sons of Merari by their clans, Machli and Mushi. These are the clans of the Levites by their fathers' houses. From Gershon came the clan of the Livnites and the clan of the Shemites. These were the clans of the Gershonites. Their registered ones, according to the number of all the males from a new moon old and above, their registered ones were 7,500. The clans of the Gershonites were to camp westward behind the dwelling place. And the leader of the father's house of the Gershonites, Eliasaph, the son of Lael, and the duty of the children of Gershon and the tent of appointment was the dwelling place and the tent with its coverings, and the covering of the door of the tent of appointment, and the screens of the courtyard, and the covering of the door of the courtyard, which is around the dwelling place and the altar, and their cords according to all its service. And from the Kahat came the clans of the Amramites, and the clans of the Yitzharites, and the clans of the Hebronites, and the clans of the Uzielites. These were the clans of the Kahathites. In number, all the males from a new moon old and above were 8,600, guarding the duty of the set-apart place. And the clans of the children of Kahat were to camp on the south side of the dwelling place. And the leader of the father's house of the clans of the Kahathites was Elitzaphan, son of Uziel. And their duty was the ark and the table and the lampstand and the altar and the utensils of the holy place used in the service, and the covering and all its service. 
And Eleazar, the son of Aaron the priest, was to be the chief over the leaders of the Levites, with oversight of those who guard the duty of the holy place. From Merari came the clan of the Machlites, and the clan of the Mushites. These were the clans of Merari. And the number of their registered ones, all the males from a new moon old and above, were six thousand two hundred. And the leader of the father's house of the clans of Merari was Suriel, the son of Avichael. These were to camp on the north side of the dwelling place. And the appointed duty of the children of Merari was the boards of the dwelling place, and its bars, and its columns, and its sockets, and its utensils, and all its service. And the columns of the courtyard all around with their sockets, and their pegs, and their cords. And those who were to camp before the dwelling place on the east, before the tent of appointment, were Moshe and Aaron, and his sons guarding the duty of the holy place, and the duty of the children of Israel. But the stranger who came near was to be put to death. All the registered ones of the Levites, whom Moshe and Aaron registered at the mouth of Hashem, by their clans, all the males from a new moon old and above, were twenty-two thousand. And Hashem said to Moshe, Register all the firstborn males of the children of Israel from a new moon old and above, and take the number of their names. And you shall take the Levites for me, I am Hashem, instead of all the firstborn among the children of Israel, and the livestock of the Levites instead of all the firstborn among the livestock of the children of Israel. And Moshe registered all the firstborn of the children of Israel as Hashem had commanded him, and all the firstborn males by the number of names from one new moon old and above of the registered ones were twenty-two thousand two hundred and seventy-three. And Hashem spoke to Moshe, saying, Take the Levites instead of all the firstborn among the children of Israel, and the livestock of the Levites instead of their livestock, and the Levites shall be mine, I am Hashem. And for the ransom of the two hundred and seventy-three of the firstborn of the children of Israel, who are more than the number of the Levites, you shall take five shekels for each one, head by head. Take it by the shekel of the holy place, the shekel of twenty geras. And you shall give the silver, the ransom of those who are in excess among them, to Aaron and his sons. And Moshe took the ransom silver from those who were over and above those who were ransomed by the Levites. From the firstborn of the children of Israel, he took the silver 1,365 pieces according to the shekel of the holy place. And Moshe gave their ransom silver to Aaron and his sons according to the word of Hashem, as Hashem had commanded Moshe. And Hashem spoke to Moshe and to Aaron, saying, Take a census of the sons of Kahath from among the children of Levi by their clans, by their father's house, from thirty years old and above, even to fifty years old, all who enter the service to do the work in the tent of appointment. This is the service of the sons of Kahath in the tent of appointment, the most holy matters. At the breaking of camp, Aaron and his sons shall come, and they shall take down the covering veil and cover the ark of the witness with it, and shall put on it a covering of fine leather, and spread over that an all-blue wrapper, and shall insert its poles. And on the table of showbread they shall spread a blue wrapper, and shall put on it the dishes, and the ladles, and the bowls, and the jars for pouring, and the showbread on it. And they shall spread over them a scarlet wrapper, and cover the same with a covering of fine leather, and shall insert its poles. And shall take a blue wrapper and cover the lampstand of the light with its lamps and its snuffers and its trays and all its oil vessels by which they serve it. And they shall put it with all the utensils in a covering of fine leather and put it on a bar. And over the golden altar they shall spread a blue wrapper and cover it with a covering of fine leather and shall insert its poles. And shall take all the utensils of service with which they serve in the holy place and shall put them in a blue wrapper and cover them with a covering of fine leather and put them on a bar and shall remove the ashes from the altar and spread a purple wrapper over it and shall put on it all the utensils by which they serve there the fire holders the forks and the shovels and the basins and all the utensils of the altar and shall spread on it a covering of fine leather and insert its poles 
And when Aaron and his sons have finished covering the holy objects and all the furnishings of the holy place at the breaking of camp, then the sons of Kahat shall come to lift them, but let them not touch that which is set apart, lest they die. These matters are the burden of the sons of Kahat in the tent of appointment. And the oversight of Eleazar the son of Aaron the priest is the oil for the light, and the sweet incense, and the daily grain offering, and the anointing oil, and the oversight of all the dwelling place, and all that is in it, with its set-apart place and its furnishings. And Hashem spoke to Moshe and to Aaron, saying, Do not cut off the tribe of the clans of the Kahats from among the Levites, but do this to them, and they shall live and not die when they approach the most set-apart objects. Aaron and his sons shall go in and appoint each of them to his service and his burden. They are not, however, to go in to watch while the set-apart objects are being covered, lest they die. And Hashem spoke to Moshe, saying, Take a census also of the sons of Gershon by their father's house and by their clans. Register them from thirty years old and above, even to fifty years old, all who enter to perform the service, to do the service of the tent of appointment. This is the service of the clans of the Gershonites in serving and in bearing burdens. And they shall bear the curtain of the dwelling place and the tent of appointment with its coverings and covering of fine leather that is on it, the covering for the door of the tent of appointment, and the screens of the courtyard, and the covering for the door of the gate of the courtyard, which is around the dwelling place, the altar, and the cords, all their equipment for their service, and all that is made for them, so shall they serve. At the mouth of Aaron and his sons, is all the service of the sons of the Gershonites, all their burden and all their service. And you shall appoint to them all the duty of all their burden. This is the service of the clans of the sons of Gershon and the tent of appointment, and let their duties be under the hand of Itamar, the son of Aaron, the priest. As for the sons of Merari, register them by their clans and by their father's house. Register them from thirty years old and above, even to fifty years old all who enter the service to do the work of the tent of appointment. And this is the duty of their burden according to all their service for the tent of appointment, the boards of the dwelling place, and its bars, and its columns, and its sockets, and the columns around the courtyard with their sockets, and their pegs, and their cords, and all their equipment, and all their service, and assign to each by name the equipment of the duty of their burden. This is the service of the clans of the sons of Merari, as all their service for the tent of appointment under the hand of Itamar, son of Aaron the priest. So Moshe and Aaron and all the leaders of the congregation registered the sons of the Kahathites by their clans and by their father's house. From thirty years old and above, even to fifty years old, all who entered the service for work in the tent of appointment, and the registered ones by their clans were two thousand seven hundred and fifty. These were the registered ones of the clans of the Kahathites, all those serving in the tent of appointment, whom Moshe and Aaron registered according to the mouth of Hashem by the hand of Moshe. And those registered ones of the sons of Gershon by their clans and by their father's house, from thirty years old and above, even to fifty years old, all who entered the service for work in the tent of appointment. The registered ones by their clans, by their father's house, were two thousand six hundred and thirty. These were the registered ones of the clans of the sons of Gershon, of all who serve in the tent of appointment, whom Moshe and Aaron registered according to the mouth of Hashem. And those of the clans of the sons of Merari, who were registered by their clans by their father's house, from thirty years old and above, even to fifty years old, all who entered the service for work in the tent of appointment, the registered ones by their clans were three thousand two hundred. These were the registered ones of the clans of the sons of Merari, whom Moshe and Aaron registered according to the mouth of Hashem by the hands of Moshe. All the registered ones of the Levites whom Moshe and Aaron and their leaders of Israel registered by their clans and by their fathers' houses, from thirty years old and above even to fifty years old, all who came to do the work of the service of the work of bearing burdens in the tent of appointment, their registered ones were eight thousand five hundred and eighty. 
according to the mouth of Hashem, they were registered by the hands of Moshe, each according to his service and according to his burden. Thus were they registered by him as Hashem commanded Moshe. In the first two chapters of the book of Numbers, we begin to see the framework and foundation for the entirety of the book of Numbers. Israel is counted for war, and they are lifted up in honor as warriors of Hashem, as his hosts go to war against those who are under his judgment. But Israel is not in a place where they're able to answer the call to take up this battle. And so a time of trial and testing was necessary to build their faith in the God who had already proven himself faithful. And at the end, this exercise has gone through once again to prove the point. On the backside, Israel has fewer men with which to go to war. But on the backside of the wilderness, it's no longer the numbers of the men that matter. It is the word of Hashem that matters. And the second generation knows this to be the truth. And so this first chapter is the setup for the whole book and the whole idea of the wilderness experience. In chapter 2, we read of the arrangement of the tribes of Israel around the tabernacle. The order of camping and the order of marching were addressed. The defensive positions of the army, while not actively on the offense. And in these instructions, we caught a glimpse of some symbolism that's hidden in this chapter, in the banners that are specifically called out in the chapter. And these banners point us to several other places in scripture where we catch a glimpse of the symbolism that's hidden beneath the surface of the text. And the symbolism, it gives us a key that can help us to unlock levels of meaning in the book of Ezekiel and Revelation that would be shrouded without the symbolism present here. This symbolism is extremely helpful in interpretation, as we're going to see shortly. Well, in chapter 1, there was something that was said that was important, and that this chapter seems to contradict what we read in both this chapter and the next. In chapters 1, verse 49, it says, Only the tribe of Levi you shall not list, and you shall not take a census of them among the people of Israel. Levi was not to have a census taken of them. Literally, Levi was not to have his head lifted up among Israel. Now, this seems pretty straightforward. But then we get to the very next chapter, and what do we read? You shall register all of the children of Levi. And then in chapter 4, take a census of the various clans of Levi. On the surface, this seems like a blatant contradiction. Don't count them. Don't lift their heads. Oh, and then lift their heads. Go ahead and count them. What's going on here? Well, there are several things going on with this, and we will address each of these before too long. Before that, in the beginning of chapter 3, we see a shift occur in the text. The text turns from all of Israel, the various tribes and their warfare formations, and it shifts to Aaron and his sons. You remember them, right? Two of them died childless when they brought strange fire before Adonai. Well, the other two sons, they're just fine, and they continued to serve as priests. Is kind of how the chapter begins. And the tribe of Levi was given by Hashem to the priests to act as assistants for everything that has to be done with the tabernacle outside of the actual worship practices. And these Levites are given a charge, a charge that was placed before man in the garden to keep and to work in relationship with the tabernacle. The words used to describe what the Levites will be doing are only ever used in conjunction with each other in three places in all of Scripture. Genesis 2.15 And Hashem God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to guard it. 
Here in chapter 3, Numbers 3, 6 through 8, Bring the tribe of Levi near, and set them before Aaron the priests, and they shall serve him, and shall guard his duty, and the duty of all the congregation before the tent of appointment to do the service of the dwelling place. And they shall guard all the furnishings of the tent of appointment, and the duty of the children of Israel is to do the service of the dwelling place. The Hebrew words there, guard and service, are the same words for work and guard from Genesis 2.15. And then in chapter 18, in the exact same context, Numbers 18, verse 4, And they shall be joined with you, and guard the duty of the tent of appointment for all the service of the tent, but a stranger does not come near you. And Numbers eighteen seven, But you and your sons with you are to guard your priesthood for all matters at the altar and behind the veil, and you shall serve. I have given you the priesthood as a gift for service, but the stranger who comes near is put to death. Now, we talked about this before, back in Exodus 29, in connection to the ordination ceremony for the priests. Israel is being set up to be a miniature Eden, with a garden at the center, with men tasked to work and to keep the garden, and God dwelling with them and walking with them. Now, this is extremely significant that this is what is occurring here, because it reflects our own duties in this world. Moving on in verse 12 and 13, we get the first hint of how the upcoming counting of the tribe of Levi is different than the count of the rest of Israel. The firstborn. In the ancient Near East, it was the firstborn of a family that was to serve as the priest for the nation. Being a priest, it was a huge honor. It was one of the greatest honors that a son could have. To be chosen to approach the various gods that protected and provided for your family. Hashem does not want the firstborn. Hashem wants the Levites to serve him. Now, these two verses, they force us to recall to mind the events of the past. The Passover, when all of the firstborn of Egypt were destroyed, their worship practices were wiped out, they had no priests after the Pesach, and in that moment Hashem took all of the firstborns who had been chosen to be covered with the blood of the Lamb to serve him. Not because he was greedy, but because he needed priests, and these were the priests. But these priests failed. They were given their instructions, and they failed in the matter of the golden calf. And when Hashem called for men to defend his honor and to act in judgment against the transgressors among their own family, it was Levi that responded to the call. Levi picked up the sword in judgment and destroyed those who had defiled themselves among their own clan. And in that moment, God chose Levi to act as priests for him. They were rewarded for their faithfulness and zeal. And this was their reward. They were to replace the firstborn in service to Hashem, a place of honor in the service of God. And so as we go through these numbers, we discover that this count was of every Levite from one month old on up. Every single one of them was counted not for the purpose of war, but for an exchange. At the end of the chapter, we see this exchange occur. There were 22,000 Levites and 22,273 firstborn. That's nearly an equal number. And there is a price in silver that was associated with the redemption of the firstborn. It's five shekels. But we have not read of this redemption price at this point yet. We don't read of this redemption price 
until Numbers 18. Numbers 18, 15 through 16 says, Everyone opening a womb of all flesh, which they bring to Hashem, whether man or beast, is yours. But to ransom, you shall ransom the firstborn of man and the firstborn of the unclean beast you ransom, and ransom their ransomed ones when one month old, according to your valuation, five shekels of silver, according to the shekel of the holy place, which is twenty geras. And the redemption price that was given for the firstborn, that five shekels times 273, it was passed on to the Levites. A one-for-one exchange of Levites for firstborn. Now, in chapter 4, we read of each of these tribes being counted once again. This time, the same phrase is used as was used in chapter 1. They are to lift the heads of each tribe of Levi. There is to be a census taken. But once again, we find that there is something odd going on in this count. No longer are they counting everyone from a month old and older, and they're not counting everyone from 20 years old and older, as they did in the census of the entire nation. This time, they're only counting the Levites from the ages of 30 to 50. Why would they count only this small cross-section of the tribes of Levi? Well, this is because the census was not for the purpose of serving in the military. Rather, it was for the purpose of serving in the tabernacle. Again, there is a seeming contradiction here, but it is easily solved by paying close attention to the text. Numbers 4.3 From 30 years old and above, even to 50 years old, all who enter the service to do the work of the tent of appointment. This verse specifically states all who enter to do the service to do the work of the tabernacle at the age of 30. In Numbers 8.24 it says this applies to the Levites from 25 years old and above that have come into active service in the service of the Tent of Appointment. This verse states that this applies to all who enter to perform service upon the service of the tabernacle. So the, the difference in these ages, they seem to be a contradiction. But the answer to this contradiction may be found in the slight nuance that's used to describe what's going on in each. 4.3 says they enter into service to do the work of the tabernacle. And 8.24 says they enter into service to do the service of the tabernacle. We're going to find that what is being described in this verse and others are not the same at all. And it is thought that this contradiction is easily then understood by recognizing that the Levites would enter into a time of training in the service of the tabernacle at the age of 25, but they would not enter into the service of the work, which is actively interacting with the tabernacle items until the age of 30. In fact, verse 4-3, the word service doesn't appear at all. The word translated as enter into the service to do the work of the tabernacle, the purpose of this census does not match the purpose that's stated just four chapters later. So this census is one that is only counting those who will be actively engaged with and interacting with the tabernacle items that are listed throughout the rest of the chapter. Now, there's something else that's different in these listings as well. Now, something that highlights the purpose of each of these lists. In chapter 2, we read of the organization of each of the four sets of three tribes. And as we went through them, we noticed that they were arranged and told of according to their mothers, sons of Leah first and second, sons of Rachel's third, and the sons of the concubines last. And this was to be the order of their defensive postures while on the move and camping. 
Now, if we pay attention to the cardinal directions, we find that order is east, south, west, and north. In chapter 3, we read of the three sons of Levi, and if we pay attention to the cardinal directions, we discover that the order is different. Now it's west, south, north, and east. But as we read of each tribe in the context of the chapter, we recognize that they are not recounted in order of direction from the tabernacle. Instead, the order given is based on the context of the chapter in each case. Now, this chapter is all about the firstborn, and so the birth order is what determines the arrangement in the text in chapter 3. Exodus 6.16, these are the names of the sons of Levi according to their generations, Gershon, Kahat, and Merari. And the years of the life of Levi were 137. You get that? Gershon, Kahat, and Merari. That's the order we find them in chapter 3. But when we get to chapter 4, the order that each of these tribes is told of is again different. Once again, the cardinal directions are out of order with all of the others. Instead, now we have south, east, west, and the north. Now, this would have been the marching order of the tribes of Levi when they moved out. But there's more here too. Because just as with chapter 3, the order is told in the practical order for movement based on the responsibilities of each tribe. Kohat oversaw the furniture and utensils. These are the first things that need to move when tearing down the tent. First, you clean it out. Priests oversaw the consumables that were to be used in the altars, menorahs, and such. Then comes Gershon, who is responsible for the coverings, the cloth, and all its forms, the curtains, veils, everything from both the tabernacle itself and the courtyard. And then comes Merari, who is responsible for the planks, pegs, hooks, and sockets. The last bit to be taken down and collected when the tabernacle was packed away for travel. In this chapter, the listing is a very practical list based on the context of what is being highlighted in this chapter. Only those who served were to be counted. The tribes are then counted in the order of that service. There's a lot going on in these chapters, a lot more that we could look at. So I want to take something that I brought up last week and then expand on it. Because grasping the fullness of this, I think, will help us in understanding several other places in Scripture. Last week, we looked at how the tribes were arranged as we are this week. And we looked at the symbol of four of the tribes exclusively. We did this based on the recurrence of the idea of there being a single banner that was to represent the three tribes on each side of the tabernacle. And we took our clues for this from chapters 2, verses 3, 10, 18, and 25. Now, as we determined that the most likely, though not proven by a long shot for one of them at least, of these symbols for each tribe were as follows. A lion for Judah, a man for Reuben, a bull or an ox for Ephraim, and an eagle, or maybe perhaps a serpent, for Dan. On this one, I tend towards the eagle and my reasons for that. I really don't believe that anyone who was raised on the stories of Genesis would choose a serpent to represent themselves. Rather, they would choose the majestic symbol of the swift judge, the eagle, which was also descriptive of their tribe according to the blessing that Jacob spoke over Dan on his deathbed. Regardless, with these four creatures, we turn to the book of Ezekiel and we looked at the first chapter of Ezekiel and that crazy creature that's told of in this chapter. That creature is one that had four faces, the face of a man, a lion, an ox, and an eagle. And this creature followed the guidance of the spirit wherever it went. 
and this creature was located just under the rakia, the expanse or dome of Genesis 1-6, the rakia that separated the waters above from the waters below. Ezekiel 1, 26-28, And above the expanse over their heads was the likeness of a throne, an appearance like sapphire stone. Where have we seen sapphire before? We saw it in Exodus chapter 24 when the elders had their covenant meal with Hashem on Mount Sinai. And on the likeness of the throne was the likeness of the appearance of a man high above it. And from the appearance of his waist and upward, I saw what looked like glowing metal with the appearance of fire all around within it. And from the appearance of his waist downward, I saw what looked like fire and brightness all around, as the appearance of a rainbow and a cloud on a rainy day. So was the appearance of the brightness all around it. This was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of Hashem. And when I saw it, I fell on my face and I heard the voice of one speaking. This is the setup for the book of Ezekiel, the opening imagery and symbolism that sets up the rest of this initial message that was given to Ezekiel. And in chapter 2, we read the message that this figure on the sapphire throne then gives to Ezekiel. Ezekiel chapter 2, 1 through 5. And he said to me, Son of man, stand on your feet so that I speak to you. And the Spirit entered into me when he spoke to me and set me on my feet. And I heard him who was speaking to me, and he said to me, Son of man, I am sending you to the children of Israel, to a nation of rebels, who have rebelled against me. They and their fathers have transgressed against me until this day. And the children are stiff of face and hard of heart to whom I am sending you. And you shall say to them, Thus said the Master Hashem. And they, whether they hear or whether they refuse, for they are a rebellious house, shall know that a prophet has been in their midst. The Rebellious Sons of Israel the nation who will not listen to or obey the words of God. Now, this is the central theme of Numbers, the rebellious nation of Israel that will not obey their God. This initial symbolism of the creatures is not meant to confuse, even though it has for many. I don't believe it is meant to be literally descriptive of the throne room of God either. Ezekiel is full of symbols, and this chapter is exemplary of this. It's meant to provide a picture of what Israel was supposed to be. They were supposed to follow the Spirit wherever they went. They were to be just under the throne of God, as the elders were in Exodus 24, when they ate a covenant meal on Mount Sinai. Ezekiel opens with, This is what Israel is supposed to be, and then continues with, This is what Israel is instead. They are rebellious and hard-hearted. They are stiff-faced and they do not obey. And this is the same pattern that we're going to see in the book of Numbers as we proceed. The book opens with a vision of who Israel is supposed to be. Honored warriors who will take the land and overcome their adversaries. And then it reveals who Israel truly is. Hard-hearted, stiff-necked, disobedient rebels. And it is with all of the book of Numbers in mind that we should approach the book of Ezekiel. But the biblical references to the four-faced creature don't stop in Ezekiel. There's one other reference to the four-faced creature in the Bible. In Revelation chapter 4, this creature is referenced once again, just after the letters to the seven churches in the first vision that John was shown. Revelation 4, 1-7. After this I looked and I saw a door having been opened in the heavens, and the first voice which I heard was like a trumpet speaking with me, saying, Come up here, and I shall show you what has to take place after this. 
And immediately I came to be in the spirit, and I saw a throne set in the heaven, and one sat on the throne, and he who was there was like a jasper and ruby stone in appearance. And there was a rainbow around the throne, like emerald in appearance. Once again, we see the throne in the heavens with a rainbow glow around the throne. Same vision that Ezekiel had. Verse 4, And around the throne were twenty-four thrones. And on the thrones I saw twenty-four elders sitting, dressed in white robes. And they had crowns of gold on their head. And out of the throne came lightnings and thunders and voices. And seven lamps of fire were burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne there was a sea of glass like crystal. And in the midst of the throne and around the throne were four living creatures covered with eyes in front and in back. Now this this is tabernacle language right here. Seven lamps and a sea before the throne. And then the creatures are described. And the first living creature was like a lion, and the second living creature like a calf, and the third living creature had the face like a man, and the fourth living creature was like a flying eagle. And the four living creatures, each having six wings, were covered with eyes around and within, and they do not cease, day or night, saying, Holy, 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 Hashem El Shaddai, who was, who is, and who is coming. This is Israel surrounds the throne room of God. The Israelites camped around the throne room of the tabernacle, and they fulfill the role of true Israel, continual worship of the Most High God of all creation. Then if we continue in Revelation chapter 5, verse 1 through 10, And I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll written inside and on the back, having been sealed with seven seals. And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and to loosen its seals? And no one in the heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look at it. And I wept much because no one was found worthy to open and to read the scroll or to look at it. Now God, seated on his throne, he has a scroll that's sealed shut. And only one can read the scroll. And one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. See, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, overcame to open the scroll and to loosen its seven seals. And I looked, and I saw in the midst of the throne and of the four living creatures, and in the midst of the elders, a lamb standing as having been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God, sent out into all the earth. And he came and took the scroll out of his right hand of him, sitting on the throne. And when he took the scroll, the four living creatures and the twenty-four elders fell down before the Lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls filled with incense, which are the prayers of the holy ones. There's just one who can open the scroll. The Lion of the tribe of Judah, the true King of Judah, he is able. And who is this Lion? Well, the Lion is a Lamb, and that Lamb was slain. And they sang a renewed song, saying, You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals, because you were slain, and having redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tribe, tongue, and people, and nation, you made us kings and priests to our God, and we shall reign upon the earth. The twenty-four elders, who are they? They are those who were redeemed out of the earth from every tribe, tongue, and people, and nation. They were those who were made kings and priests and who will reign on the earth. So why did I continue on into chapter 5? Well, in chapter 3 of Ezekiel, he too is given a scroll. Ezekiel 3, 1 through 3. And he said to me, Son of man, eat what you find. Eat the scroll and go speak to the house of Israel. And I opened my mouth and he fed me the scroll. And he said to me, Son of man, feed your stomach and fill your stomach with the scroll that I am giving you. And I ate it. And it was as sweet as honey in my mouth. 
The scroll was given to Ezekiel, and it tasted like honey, but it did not continue as honey inside of him. Who else ate something that tasted like honey? Israel in the wilderness. The manna that they were given tasted like honey, Exodus 16.31. And the house of Israel called its name manna, and it was like white coriander seed, and the taste of it was like thin cakes made with honey. But the result inside of Israel was not sweetness. Ezekiel 3.12-14 And the Spirit lifted me up, and behind me I heard sound of a great rumbling voice, Blessed be the glory of Hashem from this place, and the sound of the wings of the living creatures touching one another, and the sound of the wheels beside them, and the sound of a great rushing. And the Spirit lifted me and took me away, and I went in bitterness, in the heat of my spirit, while the hand of Hashem was strong upon me. It turned to bitterness within him. And next week, we're going to read of the water trial for the jealous husband. There's a scroll of curses written, a scroll that's then washed off into the water, and the water is drunk by the one suspected of idolatry. And if they're guilty, well, it turns bitter within them. The beginning of the book of Ezekiel is tracking exactly along with the beginning of the book of Numbers. And as we continue through the book, we will discover that it is Israel that is guilty of adultery. And the scroll becomes a bitterness in their stomach, as we will see as we progress further throughout this book. And in Revelation, there is one who is able to overcome the seal on the scroll. The one true son of Israel, the Lion of Judah, the Lamb that was slain, the Judge, the obedient son, Yeshua, the embodiment of all that Israel should have been, but wasn't. Now, why do I bring all of this up at this point? Well, the fact of the matter is that there is a word used throughout chapter 4 that was used all throughout chapters 1 and 2, but you wouldn't know it to read this chapter in an English translation. In chapter 4, verse 3, 23, 30, 35, and 39, and 43, we see this word used. It's a word that's translated as armies or companies in chapters 1 and 2. That word is Zava, hosts. We read it earlier and you had no idea. Numbers 4.3, from 30 years old and above, even to 50 years old, all who enter the service to do the work of the tent of appointment. All who enter the service to do the work. The word translated as service is not the usual word aved. It is tzava. It's all who enter the army or the company to do the work of the tabernacle. You see, tzava is a word that means hosts, and our God is Lord of hosts. He is the commander of armies. But armies do not contain just those who go out and fight. There are also those who stay behind and work, those who serve him. His hosts take on many forms. And the fact is, each one of us has been called to be part of his hosts in some way. Some to battle, some to service. All for the purpose of advancing his kingdom. You see, there's one more thing to address before closing for today. Those four sides of the tabernacle were representative of something, and the tribes of Levi and which side they are on reveal something of how we should approach our service to Hashem. To the north was the tribe of Dan. The symbol of Dan was likely the eagle, based on how it represents judgment and justice. And on that north side camped Merari, and Merari was tasked with carrying the boards, sockets, columns, and pegs the items that were the foundation that held up 
and held the tabernacle together. We can understand that this should be the foundation and structure of our own communities, justice and judgment. To the west was Ephraim, the tribe whose symbol was the bull or oxen, the ultimate sacrificial animal, and on that side camped Gershon, the tribe tasked with carrying the cloth for the tabernacle, the veils, the canopies, the tent structure in the courtyard, the coverings carried by the bull. We can understand this to point to the fact that our communities should be covered by the ultimate sacrifice. To the south was Reuven, the man, and on this side camped Kahat, the tribe tasked with bearing the holy items that filled the tabernacle. And we can understand this to point to the fact that the holy things of God have been given to man. The Holy Spirit, the bread of life, the water that cleanses, even our ultimate sacrifice of Yeshua came from among mankind. And to the east, at the entrance of the tabernacle, is the lion, the king, the leader. And it was on this side that the priests camped, the ones who were intended to lead and to be in charge of Hashem's holy things. And from this we can understand that we should follow our king, the true lion of Judah, Yeshua, the king. And this is what should define the hosts of Hashem. So the question is, as part of his hosts, are you living your life in this way? Led by the Spirit, or are you led by your flesh? Are you rooted in justice? Are you covered by the sacrifice? Because being part of the host is not enough. You can call yourself by his name and count yourself among Israel, but if you are rebellious and idolatrous, the sweet taste of the bread from heaven will turn to bitterness in you. You will be left to rot in the wilderness, and you will be passed over for others who will be obedient. So seriously ask yourself this question. Which host are you part of? The host that is all show and honor and no obedience? Or the host that act like they belong to the Lord of hosts? To Hashem Sabaot. The host that follows the leading of the Spirit. The host that acts in obedience despite what their eyes tell them. The host that acts in justice towards all others. The host that is covered by sacrifice. The host that bears the holiness of Hashem, and the host that follows the king. This is what Israel should be. This is what Israel was not. Finding life in Yeshua, it coincides with becoming part of his true hosts, and it coincides with becoming what Israel should be. So continue to seek life, to Darashchai in all that you do. Shalom. Thank you for tuning in to Deresh Chai. If this content has blessed you and you would like more, please consider subscribing, liking, commenting, and sharing with others. To find out more about what we do and to support this ministry, head over to SeekLifeSC.com. That's SeekLifeSC.com. We'll see you again next time as we Deresh Chai, as we Seek Life. Shalom.